I've been wrestling with this passage um, all week, and uh, the thing that I've been struggling with, and it just hit me this morning, that you can't explain a mystery. You just declare it. And here in my mind I've been trying to, how can I explain this mystery to us and how it works out for us? But I can't. And uh, in fact we know that, you know, science, uh, sometimes it's a very plausible uh, argument that science can explain everything. It can't and it doesn't. Um, I was reading something this this week, um, some physicists have claimed that they can explain how a universe like ours popped into existence out of sheer nothingness. They claim that the laws of quantum field theory, quantum physics, can show out of sheer nothingness, no space, no time, no matter, nothing, a little nugget of false vacuum can fluctuate into existence and then by the miracle of inflation blow up into this huge and amazing cosmos we see all around us. Isn't that amazing? See, we are. I've explained it. Through the... <laughs> but these so-called laws are merely descriptions of the patterns and regularities that scientists have discovered. They don't have independent existence apart from the creation itself. They don't have divine power that can, cause, that can call into existence a world out of nothing. Stephen Hawking, he's one of the great physicists, believed that the cosmos is self-contained, doesn't require an outside cause or a creator. But he admitted he was still puzzled. Oh, good. He said this model is just equations. What breathes fire into the equations and creates a world for them to describe? Equations themselves can't do the magic, can't resolve the puzzle of existence. Science cannot explain the mystery of existence. It can only declare something of that mystery from a scientific point of view. Science can never explain the away the wonder of creation. And it can never bring us any closer to the mystery of God. But the word of God can... Because it is not, the word of God is not God explaining his mysteries to us, but declaring the wonder of who he is and what he's about. And some of that mystery has been hidden for ages until, until Paul came along and the apostles, but particularly Paul. That God's hidden wisdom is mystery that had been hidden right down through the Old Testament story had been made known to him so that he might not explain that mystery to us, but to declare it to us. Because how, how could you explain how God could, could uh, destine that we should be glorified in his Son from before creation, that we should share his glory? How could you explain that? So we're not going to try to explain it, but we are going to try to declare it. This passage um, is very much uh, where Paul is in this passage a lot of times. You look at uh, chapter 1, verse 24, he said, uh, 
He said, I rejoice. I rejoice in my sufferings. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Uh, I became a minister, verse 12, according to the stewardship from God. Um, Verse 29, I toil, struggling with all his energy. Um, Talks about his struggle for them that I have for you and for those at Laodicea. Um, And uh, right at the end he talks about being, I am with you in spirit. Paul is very much in this passage. He's talking very much about the ministry that God has given him. When someone talks a lot about themselves, they're boring, aren't they? Not much room for anyone else. But we actually don't find a big ego in this passage. Paul has found a significance in the calling of God that is far bigger than his little ego could ever contain. But he doesn't downplay his ministry the significance of it, and neither should we. Uh, Remember Paul on the the road to Damascus, and he told this story many times, as we saw as we were travelling through Acts. He he, uh, shared what God said to him when he was blinded by the glory of Christ on the road to Damascus. And and in his speech to uh, King Agrippa, he said uh, that God said, Rise, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you for this very purpose, to appoint you as a, as a servant and witness to the things in which you've seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering from you, from you, from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you. I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes. That's us. Not just in his own generation. The word that God gave to Paul was for us too that our eyes might be opened so that we might turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, receive the forgiveness of sins at a place among those who are sanctified in me. God gave Paul a a specific ministry to go to non-Jews, to the Gentiles. He also spoke to Jews in the synagogues, wherever he went, but always went further than that out to the Gentiles. And he makes that plain also in, uh, in Ephesians. Um, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints. In the Greek, it's the least of the leastest. Looks like he's putting himself down there. But he knew he, what, he, what he was and what he'd done. Even though I'm the least of the leastest. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain the mystery hidden for ages in God. So there is a mystery beyond all mysteries that was hidden in God that, was, that is now being made known. And Paul was given that ministry to, um, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery Hidden for ages, this is verse 26 of chapter 1 of Colossians. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. So the implication is in this passage is that if Paul has been given such a pivotal role in salvation history in making known this hidden mystery, then his teaching and the teaching of his fellow workers could be trusted 
and needed to be heeded, particularly his warnings concerning false teaching and false wisdom, plausible arguments, whatever they be. They needed to know the authority of the one who was warning them. So that's why Paul talks about himself, not because he's big-naming himself, but because he, he needed the Colossians and those who would read this letter to know why Paul should be listened to. There were plenty of false gospels, ego-driven ministry in Paul's day, just as there is today. Um, I just started reading a book called um, Bullies uh, and Saints uh, down through church history. It's just how it has been, always will be. Uh, Paul feels deeply Christ's love for his bride and he's willing to pay any price to bring the true gospel to people, even those he's never met before, like in Colossians. Colossi. So Paul talks about uh, what he's willing to go through. He said, I rejoice in my sufferings. Uh, I'm filling up what is lacking. Was there anything lacking in Christ's afflictions? Certainly not in the cross. It was final. It was complete. It was once for all, that atonement. He's not talking about the atonement. I think he is talking about the fellowship of sufferings. Christ suffering with him and in him as he suffers for the sake of the gospel. And in that sense, there's a filling up of the afflictions of Christ down through the generations, down through history, because Christ is one with his people and he feels the pain they feel as they live and bear the name of Christ. But uh, Paul doesn't complain about that because he's got something so rich, so rich to unfold to the people of God. No complaint and he's willing to toil and labour and struggle and to give his all to fulfil. You know, has there been anyone quite like this man? Well, there have been many people who have given their lives for the gospel, haven't they? But Paul just stands out in what he suffered. But <clears throat> he saw it as, an, as a small thing because of the incredible rich ministry that God had given him in the gospel of Christ. What is, that, what is this mystery that he is making known? Verse 27. To them, to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles. Remember the Gentiles were out in the cold in terms of God's purpose. Yes, there are hints in the Old Testament that the blessing would go out to all the nations, but it was not clear because the glory and the promises and the law was all given to Israel. And so the Gentiles were strangers to the covenant. They were idolaters. Well, so was Israel in the end. But the Gentiles were, were actively substituting, substituting the truth of God for a lie. They were belittling God's glory. They were worshipping the creature rather than we still do. And yet God had planned... the riches of the glory of his mystery to come to the Gentiles. It's remarkable. Those who are far away, brought near through the blood of Christ. And what is this mystery? Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. Now, I'm not going to try to explain this, but I'm going to ask this in declaring it to you. What is the deepest and truest thing that you could say about me? Now, don't, don't shout it out. I don't want any hidden secrets come out. What is the deepest and truest thing I could say about you, about, about each other? It would have to be Christ is in you. The hope of glory. And yet we hardly, maybe we hardly think about it. Have we got any hope of glory without him? He is our only hope of glory because he alone is the man of glory. There's nothing false in him, nothing unclean, nothing to be ashamed of. His words, what he believed, was of one piece with what he did. There wasn't a dishonest bone in his whole being. He was authentic before man and God in a way that none of us could ever clever claim to be. Recently I listened to a podcast of Jordan Peterson where he painfully expresses the great weight he feels on him as he thinks, sorry I'll just say that again, he expresses the great weight he thinks a person should feel, and he certainly feels it, if they claim to believe in God. He said for some time he won't, he won't claim that he is a believer, but, he'll, he, but he's always lived as though there is a God. And the reason why he, he hasn't been able to claim that he's a believer, because who would have the audacity, he said, to claim they believed in God if they examined the way they lived? Who would dare say that? To have the audacity to claim that is to live it out fully. Only one man has done that. This is Peterson. God only knows what you'd be if you truly believed. And he says it, if you listen to it on the podcast, he's got tears in his eyes as he's saying it. I think this man is very close to the kingdom of God. If you were capable of believing it, it would be a transfiguring event. Now, I think even though Peterson, I don't think, has fully grasped, understood the grace of God in all its truth, his words remind us not to take this grace for granted. In and of ourselves, we have no basis of hope before God. We are all deeply flawed and polluted by sin. But if we believe we have Christ and all the benefits that he won for us in that cross, then we can come with freedom and confidence into the splendour of his holiness. Christ is in us and he is our hope of glory. You know, that was what it meant the world to Paul. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. And he's glad God 
put him to death in that cross in his son. He said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me, loved me and gave himself for me. So to know that the most essential truth about who we are as believers is that Christ is in us. That meant the world to Paul and he wanted it to mean the world to the Colossian believers. If it didn't, they would be locked into immaturity and they'd be suckers for every plausible argument that came their way. So Paul uh, saw this ministry, and, and this, it's not just this passage, not just about Paul, or I did this, you know, I've been given this. It's also about what he'd been given, the riches of it. Look at verse 27. Um, he talks about the riches of the glory of this mystery given to the Gentiles. Just as God had given it to the Jews, he'd given Christ, Messiah, this great Messiah we heard of last week, to live in the Gentiles. Verse, chapter 2, verse 2, uh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches. Can you see that? Wealth, riches, a full assurance of understanding. Verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Can you see, Paul, Paul doesn't complain about the pain that, that this calling has brought his life because, yeah, he's poor, but he's making many rich. And they need to know how rich they are. That would bring more, more pain to Paul to know that those who have give, been given such riches in this mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory, would be blind to it. Talking to my neighbour and he's got friends who are, who are tradies who are in their 70s and 80s still labouring hard and they've got riches. They've, they've really saved a lot of money over the years. They could retire and go have long... Cruises all the next 30 years. But they don't. They keep on labouring. And he said, why? Why do you keep on working? You, you've got what you... Ah, oh, what would we do? <laughs> and maybe sometimes that's where we are. We've got to keep on going. We don't realise. Now, yes, there's a labouring that we're called to. But you know what I'm saying? That in ourselves, we start to enjoy the wealth of, of a full understanding of this mystery of Christ in us. Do we realise the riches that have come to us in the gospel? So Paul is struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within him so that no matter how weak he's Beaten down, he has the sufficiency of his grace and, and Christ's power is made perfect in weakness, Christ in him. But he, but he toils and struggles and he said, I wanna, want you to know how great a struggle for, I have for you and for those at Laodicea. These are churches he's never been to. 
but he, these are churches where he knows there are Gentiles whom God chose to be brought into Christ and Christ be brought into them that they might share his glory in all eternity. This is the hidden wisdom made known. And he knows that there's going to be a lot of plausible arguments and lies and deceptions that are going to try to stop these new believers from living fully in the richness of the inheritance that is coming. And uh, that's what pains him even more than probably the physical sufferings he went through is when, is when churches had heard the gospel believe but then got beguiled and deceived and headed down a rabbit burrow. And I tell you, there's a lot of rabbit burrows you can go down and I've been down a few myself. So that's Paul's, that's what Paul's struggling with here. He wants their hearts to be encouraged, knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Sorry about that. (laughs) Plausible arguments. Um, Someone said you need a lot of stuff as a bolster for life. Is that true? No, it's a lie. Sounds plausible, doesn't it? Well, most people in Australia live by that one. There's a lot of plausible arguments and and Paul will address some of those in this letter. Different ones maybe than we've heard. Religious ideas, philosophies, all sorts of stuff. You know, but they all sound right. Yeah, sure. And they come along to scam us so that we trade our wealth that is Christ for something that is uh, just a mess of pottage. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, It's interesting, Paul makes this comment that um, really the measure of our love for one another, our knitting together, our hearts knitted together in love, will be directly correlated to our understanding... Uh, to the full assurance of understanding of this mystery. So it's not just sort of theological, interesting stuff. This actually will affect how we love one another in the body, in our families, in our marriages. Because it's in understanding the mystery of what God has given us in Christ and our promised glory that we know how rich and generous the love of God is to us. And if we know that, then we won't be stingy in our love for one another and our hearts will be knit together in love. That love that bears all things, bears the burden of each other's sin even, will show grace to one another as he's shown us the riches, the immeasurable riches of his grace to us. Even a glimpse of it now, it's going to be all eternity that we'll see so much more.
And that's why Paul prays elsewhere that we might know that the, the height, the depth, the length, the breadth of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, being filled up with the fullness of God. Because if we know his love in coming to us, I can remember dear Geoffrey Bingham sitting somewhere there one day. I've shared this once before. After service, he was just sitting there quietly weeping. And I went up to him and I said, you okay? <laughs> Strange thing for me to go to the great Geoffrey Bingham, ask him if he was okay. And he said, he said, Christ is here. Christ is here. He was just overwhelmed by the knowledge that Christ is in our midst. Great Lord of glory is in us. The pledge, the guarantee of glory. And to know that in him are hidden all the treasures. Treasure, you want to get treasure, don't you? Well, this is real treasure. If you want to know something worth knowing, you need to understand and come to know Christ. You see, believers were being tempted to look elsewhere for hidden wisdom and knowledge. Internet. You want to, oh, one day I'd love to tell you about the metaverse. It's coming. A whole new world's coming, the metaverse. And it'll be a joining together of this world and the world of the internet. You'll have to have glasses to see it, but it won't be just looking at it, you will live in it. Already, average person spends five hours a day on the internet. Five hours of their life on a daily basis is in the internet. This will be much more than that. It's huge and it's coming. By 2030, I think more and more people will be living in the metaverse. Well, it sounds a mystery, doesn't it? I'll try to explain that mystery another time. But it'll be a big temptation and a big life killer, life stealer, even for believers, if they get caught up in it. It'll also be a useful tool for all sorts of things. You see, there's plausible things that will grab our heart to mislead us. It's interesting he talks about Laodicea, doesn't it? Because Laodicea, you know, we think, oh, well, you know, are we really in danger? Well, the Colossians were, and we'll see that. And certainly we know Laodicea was in danger because later on they would come to a place where they, they thought that they were rich and prosperous and needed nothing because they'd believed certain plausible arguments when in fact they were wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. And he counsels them to buy from me gold refined by fire, real treasure. So Laodicea is mentioned here because they too. But then every church is in danger. We're in danger. And we're in danger. We're in danger of exchanging this treasure the treasure of our inheritance, our birthright, for a mess of pottage. Now, I used to hear that phrase as a growing up in the church, and I, I thought, well, it must be in the Bible. It's not in the actual text of the Bible at all. But where does it come from? It refers to the story of Jacob and Esau. Um, mess is a meal, 
and pottage is a stew. So a meal of stew. We know what happened, don't we? Esau's hungry. Jacob's cooking a good pot of stew. Uh, Give me some of that red stuff. I'm famished. Jacob says, well, yeah, sure. Just sell me your birthright first. What a, what a tricky fella Jacob was. And it worked because Esau thought, well, oh, I'm hungry, forget the birthright, I want something now to fill me. Well, we know where that brings us, don't we? And so he despises his birthright. So in, in uh, popular thinking, a mess of pottage has come to refer to something immediately attractive but of little value, taken foolishly and carelessly in exchange for something more distant and perhaps less tangible but immensely more valuable. So you trade something eternally precious for instant gratification. That's what marketing tries to trick us in all the time, doesn't it? And the internet, it's designed, it's full of snackable content, bite-sized. You know, the world offers snackable content for the human heart. Come and get it. But it cannot permanently fulfil the great void that was created to be filled by God's glory. So don't, don't, Be deluded. Don't be fooled. There is hardly a day uh, that goes by when I don't either get a telephone call or a text or an email that is out to scam me. I don't know how you go with that, but it's just every day. Uh, But scamming is not a new thing. You see, Paul is warning about the spiritual scamming that is travelling around the churches. False teachers, false preaching. All trying to pass off as genuine, tricking people into thinking they'll get rich quickly when in reality they're about to get poor very fast. You know, in 2020... Scams in Australia cost $851 million taken out of people's pockets and businesses. Now, I think probably we're all pretty alert to how to identify a scam. Are we alert to the kind of spiritual scams that can steal our treasure, our inheritance? can take our eyes off Christ. Are we? And that's what this letter is about. That's why it's so important. Um, If we're not alert, then we're sitting ducks for the next scam. Paul knows there'll be no true encouragement, no true knitting of hearts together in love, no true assurance, no realisation of the great wealth and of wisdom and knowledge that are, that are for life, for us to live, that we've been given, and we'll have none of that unless we realise the glorious greatness of knowing that Christ dwells in us. And if we're knowing by faith that Christ lives in our hearts, knowing 
that love that surpasses knowledge, then we have a foretaste of the glory that is coming. We know the meaning of life. Jordan Peterson again says this, the world is not made of matter, it is made of what matters. It is made out of meaning. But the question that I think Peterson is struggling to answer is what is that meaning? And we have that given to us. It's Christ. Christ is that meaning. We need more than 12 rules for life. As an antidote to chaos, we need the power to live that life. And we have that power when we have Christ. You know, outside of Christ, you cannot know the meaning of creation. You cannot know the reason for your existence. You can listen to a thousand TED Talks on the mystery of existence, but the truth will still be hidden from you. We end up with more questions and mysteries than we began with. Science can't satisfy our deep longing. Only in Christ do we find the treasures of, of true wisdom and knowledge that speak to our deepest needs. Christ is the meaning of all things. He's the goal of all things. And he's our destiny. That's what Paul was struggling with, and I'm struggling with it today, to just make it known, not explain it. You can't, but declare it. Christ is your life and one day you will see you will know when we're there in the end how true it is to say that and how wonderful it is to say that when he is revealed you too shall be revealed with him in glory and that's the he he paul is working so hard to bring us to that maturity in Christ. That's his goal in every church, that we might all be there with a full understanding of that. Otherwise, we'll be like children tossed this way and that, like waves, by every cunning wind of doctrine, plausible idea, and there'll be no stability, there'll be no growing up into that full maturity in Christ and speaking the truth in love and each one, each part in the body, truthing in love, building the body up, all knitted together perfectly. That's the goal. And that's what God is doing amongst us. And so we shouldn't make light of these things because they are eternal and precious and rich, immeasurably rich, beyond all that we could imagine. Forget the mess of pottage. <laughs> Looks good, might taste good, but it's nothing compared to what God has given you and I in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Hmm. Dear Father, O Lord, your spirit has been given to us so that we might know the deep things of your heart and purpose. That we might know your son, 
the son of your love, that we might know the truth that, that he is in you, that you are in him, and that he is in us. And all to share your eternal glory. To taste it now by faith. To glimpse it in one another. Imperfectly. But one day to see it in all its fullness. Brought to total completion. In a day when, when your great glory will shine in each of us. And so Father we thank you for the certainty of this hope in our hearts and the strength it brings us and the warning it brings us to look nowhere else but to stay true to the calling and so keep us true father we pray in the name of your dear son amen